46 to 47. Just remembering we didn't get a chance to do this earlier, but uh, for all visitors who are with us, thank you for coming. Uh, my wife has a, a visitor friend with her. Her name is Sandy, if you didn't met, meet her over there. We have our visitors. Say, okay, we're going to all do the uh, yes. This is her friend Sandy, everybody. Sandy. Right, you sounded like a great little class there. We have our, our, our visitors forum, if somebody can get that. And if you don't have a Bible, once again, raise your hand so that we can do this. We won't be long this morning. want to thank Allie for that wonderful smelling spaghetti that she has. And don't forget this Wednesday. We are looking still for readers for this Wednesday. Uh, the Ash Wednesday service is comprised mostly of prayer and readings and song. And so we need a couple of more people to participate in the reading portion. So just see me after service if that happens, uh, if you're interested in that. If we could turn to second chapter, Luke 46 and 47, very short, two verses. I'm not going to read those aloud, but you all are welcome to read them. I, I call this sermon Jesus' doctor visit. In actuality, Jesus didn't go see the doctor, but Jesus spent some time with those who were considered to be doctors, those who were considered to be teachers. Amen? amen. Please communicate with me back and forth. The more amens I get, the shorter the sermon will be. Amen. See, that always works. It's amazing. And so, one of the things I thought about with this passage of Scripture, I've heard it many times before about a 12-year-old Jesus who was left by his family for three days. They didn't know he was gone. They were on a caravan. Perhaps they thought he was with some other friends or, or one of his little playmates or something like that. And so they took a trip, a day trip, one day there, took them one day to get back once they found out he was missing, and then on the third day is when they found him. Isn't that something? When I read that on the third day they find him, that reminds me of Jesus on the third day when he, we found him, so to speak, the risen Christ. And so I began to think about this in Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old with all of these doctors and learned scholars and, and people who seem to know everything about everything, and yet he was there amongst them. And the effect that he had on them, how he affected his environment as opposed to perhaps his environment affecting him. And so I thought to myself, well, how can I, I expound upon this piece of scripture? How can I expound upon this passage of scripture in a way so that those saints who are here in Living Hope on Sunday can sit in the place of Jesus and their lives can be more enriched, their lives can be stronger, and they can be equipped to go out 
into our sick and dying world, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and presenting themselves as saints of God, knowing that when you come in contact with somebody, everybody you come in contact with, whoever it is, there's a possibility that you are the only Jesus that they will run into. During that encounter, whether that encounter is passing them in a car after they've cut you off, which we know we always represent Christianity correctly when we're cut off by somebody. Oh, that's just me. Okay, that's just me. Whatever the encounter is, we have to realize that there is a Monday through Saturday Christianity that sometimes we tend to forget about, but in this particular passage of Scripture, we learn from a 12-year-old boy a 12-year-old boy who, who does the things that we always fuss at kids about. A 12-year-old boy who somehow managed to stay focused on the things that his father had put into him, even though his parents were gone away. And we know that if you leave a 12-year-old alone, and the parents are gone out of town. Generally speaking, not any of you all, but generally speaking, things might go awry. 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, some of you all 22, 23, 24. But in this particular case, I want us to talk about where he was. You all can say that, where he was. What he, was doing, what he was doing and the effect he had on his environment. Because when you run into your parents, generally speaking, after that type of situation, when you run into your parents or whoever was supposed to be watching you or guarding you, even if it's a teacher or whatever the case may be, the first thing they want to ask you is, where were you? Because it's always your fault. Where were you? What were you doing? What happened? And wouldn't it be great to be able to give them a story or for them to see what a wonderful, wonderful effect you had had on the people around you, even in their absence? I remember when I graduated from high school, when I was about to graduate from high school, that last day of senior year, while many of my classmates were going through the hallways wreaking havoc upon all the other poor students there, I remember I left out of the school and my school had a long driveway that led to the street. And this was the last day of high school, it was over. Everything that was going to be done was done. All we had to do was show up at the church with the Catholic gowns and it was over. Those who chose to go to college were going to college. Those who didn't weren't. But high school was over. And I remember walking out of the school and walking down that driveway. And I got about maybe three quarters of the way down the driveway. And I stopped and I looked back at the school. And I thought, wait a minute, that's it. 
Everything that I've been working for up until this point is back there now. What's done is done. All I have is that. All I have is that future. Whatever it might hold. Whatever it might bring me. All I have is the stuff that everybody, all the teachers, all the professors, from kindergarten on, my mom and my dad, all of the things that they had put inside of me, it was there now. And it was all in front of me. All I had was the future. Couldn't go back. I wanted to turn around and run back into that school. But I knew that I couldn't. Because I knew I had a future to face. And so I did face that future. And so sometimes it's not as big a situation as that, but we still have to realize that at some point in our walk as Christians, at some point in our walk with Jesus, whether it be day to day, another turn, uh, turning a new leaf in life, or whatever the case may be, we have to realize that God has put something in each and every one of you all. God has placed something in your life. He knew you before you were conceived in your mother's womb. And so he placed something even at the beginning of time when he said, let there be, let there be, let there be, and saw that it was good. He had placed something in eternity. He had placed something in your life. He had placed something in your spirit that you were to use for the kingdom of God. And so now, we have this 12-year-old boy. And his parents, in verse 46, his parents come back after the trip. One day there to realize that he wasn't in the caravan. Then another day back. And approximately a day to look for him and find him. He was in the temple, in the Sanhedrin, among the Sanhedrin. Now those who know the Sanhedrin know that in Jewish culture, they were the big deal. They were the elite. And so we find this 12-year-old boy not necessarily teaching them as many people interpret this story as, but the fact of the matter is that he was there and he was asking questions and he was listening and he was learning and he was sharing and even his level of understanding let them know that this was no ordinary boy. His level of understanding in the Greek, the word is sunise. It's a faculty of comprehension and intelligence and acuteness and shrewdness. It shows that even though he wasn't the teacher, his understanding of the subject, his understanding of what they were talking about, his understanding of how it affected him and how it affected everybody was far beyond a 12-year-old. But I submit to you today that there are some other factors even that cause this 
wonderment. I read somewhere that the average percentage of illiterate people in the United States is somewhere around 30%. 30% that can't read. And if you can't read, then in most cases you can't write. And that lowers your level of understanding over many things because all you're counting on is what's told to you or what's spoon-fed to you to a certain degree. Well, among the people in Jesus' culture, for a little boy like this, from the background that he came from, it would be about 90% illiterate. Because only the, the, the a certain class of people were allowed to learn and to read and to grow and to especially when it came to the scripture and when it came to the Greek and when it came to the Hebrew, even though they spoke Hebrew to a great extent, the Greek was only taught to certain people. So when you went to the temple, you were basically at the mercy of those teaching because you weren't allowed to learn yourself. So not only was it important that this was a 12-year-old boy, but this 12-year-old boy coming from where he came from should not be there, should not be able to learn like that according to their culture, should not be able to read like that, should not be able to expound the word of God like he was because the culture didn't allow that, because the culture didn't plan for that because the culture was not set up for everybody equally to learn and to grow at the same rate. That might sound familiar to some of you all, but in that world, the culture didn't allow for everybody. They didn't plan for a little boy named Jesus to be able to go into the temple and speak the same words as the teachers or, or expound or even understand the concept of some of the scriptures and passages that were being taught and or explained. But for God. And so where he was in the Sanhedrin a little more background. The Sanhedrin sat in semicircular form, like the half of a round corn floor, so that they could see one another, and the prince and the father of the court could see them all. And before them sat three rows of disciples of wise men or scholars, and in each row, there were three and twenty men. The first row was next to the Sanhedrin. The second row below that and the third row below that in every row sat according to superiority and wisdom on a seat in one of these rows. And that's where they found 
the 12 year old Jesus. I think, and I've heard this often, if Jesus came back right now, or surprisingly in 301 on Tuesday, or 746 on Wednesday evening, where would he find you? What would he find you doing? Who would he find you in the midst of? What would he find coming out of your mouth? What would he find that you exuded mood-wise or otherwise? What would he find if your father came looking for you? And I know it's school time, so a lot of you all will be in the library during that time, but regularly during summer vacation or on spring break, where would he find you? And, and the, the fact that they found Jesus where they found him spoke to a lot of things. He, he told them immediately, he said, where did you think you would find him? Doing my father's business. Doing my father's business. Well, why would I expect to find you doing your father's business? Because that's why I was sent here. He didn't say all of this, but I'm using my Holy Ghost imagination right now. Because that's why I'm here. You would find me doing my father's business because that's why I'm here. That's why I was created. That's my purpose. That's my goal. Which brings me to another thing. How often... Does your purpose and your goal match up with each other? How often does your purpose and your goal stand side by side? We seek our purpose often. You hear everybody talking about finding their purpose. I just want to know why I'm here. But once you do kind of get into why you're here, which is, which is easier once you come to know Christ, once you kind of get into your purpose and why you are here, how does that affect your goal and your walk? Daily, yearly, vocationally, morally, how is that, each area of your life, affected by your purpose in Christ? Or do you consider some things to be too small to have anything to do with God? I don't have to pray about every little thing. But the fact of the matter is, if you did, where would your life be? If you had prayed on that problem, think of your last four or five problems. Some of you all won't have to think past the past couple of hours. But if you think of your last four or five problems and you saw those problems coming, 
Did you pray about that before it came to a head? Did you pray about it when you saw that it was just a little thing, one of those little things that was too small to worry about praying about? Did you pray about it before it exploded in your life? Where will you be found? What will you be found doing? They talk about Christ's understanding. But I saw something that was very, very interesting to me. And I think you all will find it interesting too. But they say they were amazed and astonished. Existemai. Existanto. This feeling of astonishment and amazement was mixed with fear. This particular word in the Greek, it means that all of this amazement and astonishment that they had, that the 12-year-old was understanding and that the 12-year-old could converse and that the 12-year-old knew what questions to ask was mixed with a little bit of fear. Jesus had already begun to shake the establishment. And he shook the establishment just by showing them that he knew what they knew. He shook the establishment by showing that God had placed in him a knowledge of the word, an understanding of the word. He scared them and amazed them by showing that greater was he that was in him than he that was in the world. And so as you go through your day and as you attempt to fulfill your purpose in Christ, and as you attempt to reach your goals day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, second to second, are you utilizing everything that you can? Are you rocking the establishment in the sense that you're showing them that yes, there's something inside of me that you didn't expect to see, that you didn't expect to that you didn't expect coming from me. But see, I know a God, and he's sweet, I know. And this God placed something in me that might amaze you. This God placed something in me that might astound you. This God placed something in me that just might scare you. But don't worry about it, because what God placed in me, you can have that too. And that's what we're called And so, when you're found wherever it is that you're going to be found, maybe it's a temple, maybe not so much, but wherever you're found, what are you going to be found doing? Who 
are you going to be when you're found? Because sometimes we're not quite ourselves. But Jesus' response to his parents showed that he was quite himself because he told them immediately, what did you expect? You know who I am. Mother Mary, who did the angels tell you that you were going to hold in your womb? In your dream, Father Joseph, what were you told about me? And so when you find me being who God told you that I was going to be, why are you surprised? Now these judges, these Teachers, these doctors, I understand why they're surprised. They're surprised because something that they thought was a big secret, something that they thought that they were privileged to have, something that they thought they were privileged to be a part of, came from my father. And yes, the things that came from my father, I've got. And even greater. The things that came from my father, I've got, and I came to give them to you. And so here we are, this 12-year-old with the Sanhedrin, this 19-year-old with the dean of students, this 25-year-old with his supervisor, this 30-year-old, with her son's teacher. But what are these people found doing? Whose attributes are these people found portraying? What is inside of you? given by God that you treasure so much that anybody who knows you, anybody who's around you, anybody who comes in contact with you, anybody who claims to love you should automatically know where you stand. Should automatically, do you represent Jesus, do you represent Christianity? Do you represent all of the things that you repeat in church when we have read-alongs? Do you represent all the things that you read in the Bible and hold so dear and study so hard in table talks? Whether they had been in Alley or Dave and Casey's, either one. These things, do you hold it so dear? Do you treasure it so much that Anybody who knows you knows where you will be found and what you will be found doing. And lastly, not only was he found where his focus led him, not only was he found where his makeup 
led him because he was made to be where he was. Not only was he found where his father would expect him to be based upon what he had inside. Not only was he found there, not only was he found there teaching, learning and growing and explaining and discussing at a level that people would be surprised of, whether because culturally they didn't expect him to be there education-wise, psychologically, spiritually, or emotionally, did not expect him to be there, should not have been there, and definitely should not have been conducting himself in the manner that he was conducting himself. Now we find these things to be true, but most importantly was, what was the effect of everybody who was there when they had an encounter with Jesus, even at 12 years old? When somebody has an, has an experience with the Jesus in you, at whatever age you are, wherever you are culturally, wherever you are intellectually, what will be their outcome? Will they leave the same way they came? Will they look at you and say, well, that's kind of what I expected of you. Church folks and Christians get a bad rap. Thank you, Cynthia. They get a bad rap because when you walk toward them, they automatically think you're trying to convert. When they bring up religion in a conversation, they bring it up in a manner that would cause you to get upset so that they can look over at you and say, what? I'm trying to get him right. Let's see. Let's get, see if we can get him so upset that he loses his religion. I'm, best, I'm blessed to be friends with a lot of the grandsons and sons of great men. From Curtis Mayfield, the musician, to the grandson of Elijah Muhammad, my good friend Omar Muhammad, who lives near here. Omar Muhammad, if you don't know who Elijah Muhammad was, he started the nation of Islam. Omar Muhammad and I were buddies because I was doing music and he did graphic design and we worked together on a couple of things and we were friends and, and he was an imam of a mosque. And he knew I was a minister, a Baptist minister at that time. But despite this calling of ours, we never talked about religion. These two supposed great men of God never talked about religion. A former Catholic priest, for lack of a better term, turned Baptist minister, now turned Presbyterian, but that and an imam of a mosque, a great teacher in Islam, as friends, never discussed religion. Till one day we were on a road trip, stuck in a car, for I think six or eight hours on the way to Cleveland. And somehow the subject came up. And I must admit, I was nervous. Because I knew that Omar knew the Bible better than I did. 
inside and out and the crowd. But he had to get to talk, and we talked for two or three hours about various points. It wasn't a, a hard conversation, it wasn't an argument, but we talked for a long time. And, and then finally, after we finished, he looked at me and he said, You are the first Christian that I've ever had a lengthy conversation with, and they did not convert to Islam. Maybe that's because I told him, I said, every argument he gave me for everything I said, everything he disagreed with, the fact of the matter was he couldn't disagree with the fact that in the midnight hour when tears rolled down my eyes or when I'm alone or when I'm sad or when I'm feeling empty, I can call on the name of Jesus and Jesus will answer my prayers. No matter what. No matter when. And so you can argue my topics, but you can't argue my relationship. You can argue theology, but you can't argue relationship. You can argue about this and that. Tommy will tell you, but when he's down and out, there's but one person he can call. And he didn't need him to open up the payphones or anything like that. He had a direct line. And so, when we're found wherever it is we're found, doing whatever it is we're doing, in a crowd of whatever crowd we're in, when we leave that crowd, when the conversation is over, when the impression has been made, when the opportunity has come and has gone, what effect will we have? As a church living hope, what effect do we have on the community? What effect do we have on those with six uh, degrees of separation that all of us have, which means with the amount of people here, there should be thousands of people being affected by the individuals, the children of God, the body of Christ. How is your part of the body The know-it-alls, those who need this Jesus, how are you affecting them? When you leave the temple, what will the people say? How will the people feel? What will happen to them? Not what will happen to you. But what will happen to them as a result of their encounter with the Jesus in you? Jesus visited the doctors. But did he stay with them? 
What impression did he make on them compared to the impression you make? Is it based upon your goals? Is it based upon your wishes at that time? Are you going to let culture affect it? Are you going to let your education or the lack thereof or what are, going, are you going to cause to affect your encounter with the Sanhedrin, with the people who judge the Court of Appeals? How are you going to leave a mark? In Jesus' name or in your name? As Jesus would or the best that you can. Today is a great day to start. As you leave this place and as the the music team comes forward, it's important that we leave this place knowing that somebody is going to have an encounter with us. Maybe because someone put us there accidentally, like Jesus' parents. But the fact of the matter is, if they know you, then they ought to know what to expect. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And so as saints of God, please, for Jesus' sake, go forth and touch somebody, surprise somebody, astonish somebody. And yes, you might have to scare somebody. But if you do that, just make sure you do it in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen.